0: Good morning, church family. I greet you in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, the ladies have asked that after church, you please stay for a few minutes. There's something that they want to um, uh, communicate to you. Um, yeah. We are now in chapter 9. We Last week, we... Uh, ended with chapter eight of Mark, chap- uh, Mark, the Gospel according to Mark. Um, we're looking at this morning Mark chapter one, chapter nine, verse one to thirteen. Mark chapter uh, nine, verse one to thirteen, and the title for this morning is a taste of His glory. A taste of His glory. That term, taste, according to the Merriam-Webster uh, dictionary, means to ascertain the flavor or, 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 or of something by taking a little into the mouth. So you're not eating, you're taking um, just a bit to, to, to taste how uh, the, the thing is. That's what we, we are looking at this morning Uh, Mark chapter 9 verse 1 to 13, a taste of his glory. Let us read from God's word. I read from the ESV. Follow me as uh, we hear God's word this morning. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, and no one on earth, as no as no one on earth could bleach them. And they appeared uh, to them. Uh, they appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and uh, they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi. And as they were coming down the mountain he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Must come. And he said to them Elijah does come first to restore all things and How is it written of the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. This is God's word. Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, our prayer is that you would change our hearts, make them ever true. Make us and mold us. That this is what we pray We pray that we will be shaped, we will be um, conformed to the image of your dear Son. Lord, help us to honor and to know you. Help us to glorify you with our lives this morning as we hear your word uh, speak to our lives. Inform us, transform us, and conform us to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The, the lost disciples were already, uh, after the conversation that he just had with them, when he told them about his death, they were already spinning from his revelation that he would die and, and rise again, when you look at uh, Mark chapter 8:31. On the heels of that stunning statement that he made, Jesus called his followers to a life of total commitment and absolute obedience. Absolute separation from the world. His words must have come as a shock to their system as they had him. They had left every aspect of life as they knew it to go with Jesus. They They did so expecting Jesus would destroy Rome, deliver Israel and establish the kingdom of God on earth. Now Jesus tells them that following him is a costly business. He has given them the negative side of being his follower. The passage that we have before us was spoken at the same time. As soon as Jesus tells his men that he's going to die, and as soon as he calls them to a life of total disobedience, Jesus makes a very strange statement. You, you might notice in your Bibles, uh, if you are, if you have your ESV Bible before you, how they break. Um, these uh these uh, paragraphs they 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 actually connect verse one of chapter nine with uh thirty one um, of 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 chapter eight because they want to sh- connect this idea of his negative statement about his death and the positive uh, proclamation about his glory but i think the n i v uh, uh, you know uh uses the paragraph different. The NIV connects, uh, maybe the CSB as well, Uh, the NIV connects verse 1 to verse 13 as one experience, and that's what I will also do as we read from verse 1 to verse 13. So there's a strange statement that he makes. He tells the assembled multitude uh, that are before him uh, that some... Uh, of their number will actually see the kingdom of God coming in power before they die. In other words, what he's doing, he softens the blow of his earlier words with the promise that his followers will enjoy his glory in the future. Uh, Let me just pause to say that I praise God that there is a better world waiting for the people of God. A world where there is no sin, no sickness, or separation. A world where Jesus is glorified and saints of God will see the Redeemer in all his glory. The, this precious passage gives us a little glimpse of the glory uh, uh, that we will see on uh, 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 one day in the future. A, a taste, in, uh, so to say, of that glory. Besides that truth, there are more... Very special blessings contained in these words. Some people have a problem with verse 1. Liberals, um, people who don't believe um, in the authority of the scriptures, the inspiration of the Bible, uh, they try to tell us that Jesus is talking about his second coming in this verse. They say that Jesus made a mistake and was wrong when uh, when, when he said what he said here. Jesus was not talking about his second coming. He was talking about what we call the transfiguration. The Lord did not make a mistake. He merely took the opportunity here to encourage his discouraged and confused disciples. I want to preach from these verses today on a taste of his glory. I want to try to show you the blessings that can be found in the account of our Lord's transfiguration. I want to preach about a place, a people, a presentation, and a purpose. A place, a people, a presentation, and a purpose. And please allow the Lord to speak to your heart this morning as we seek to catch a taste or um, of his glory in these verses today now, first of all look at verse 2b there we see a place a place this passage opens with the mention of a mountain Jesus has just promised them in verse 1 that they will see his glory some in their midst will see his glory we, we, we are not told what mountain it is but most scholars believe that it is Mount Hermon here this mountain rises some two point uh, eight kilometer above sea level. It, it, it is it is um, uh, about nineteen kilometer north of Caesarea Philippi. Remember that when they were in Caesarea Philippi, that is where he confronts them with that question, "Who do you say that I am?" And this place is it, it is where Jesus is ministering at the moment. For those who have seen this mountain, tell us that even in the hottest of months the top of this high mountain is wrapped in bends of snow mountains, if you look at the Bible, occupy a very special place in the word of God it was a mountain called Moriah that God, it was on a mountain called Moriah that God manifested his grace to Abraham uh, when he willingly offered up his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, it was on Mount Sinai that God handed over the law to Moses in Exodus 19. It was on Mount Kamel that God demonstrated his power uh, uh, to Israel through Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. It was on Mount Horeb that God manifested peace to the troubled heart of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. It was on Mount Calvary that Jesus died for our sins on the cross in John chapter 19. It was from the Mount of Olives that Jesus ascended back into his heavenly glory in Acts chapter 1. It will be, on, in, in that, it will be that same mountain that will greet his feet when he comes back when he returns in his glory. Zechariah 14. You see, mountains occupy a very special place in our lives as well and I praise the Lord that he, he, he sets aside a few mountaintop experiences along the way for you and me, we have our valley we have our hardships we have our sufferings, our sicknesses and our problems but I praise God for the mountaintops of life, I'm glad there are a few places along the way where we are allowed to see his glory and his power I praise the Lord for those times when he, he leads me into a high mountain, where we experience his joy, where we experience his special presence in our lives. Every now and then we are blessed with a mountaintop experience. We ought to enjoy them for all they are worth. When Jesus and his men came, came down from the mountain, they ran directly into the devil and his work when you continue with the passage in verse, verse 14 to verse 29. But these men who were with Jesus on the mountain never got over the, the experience that they, they, they got. They, they never really got over it. When John writes his gospel account in, in, in chapter 1, as he opens up and he talks about this, this amazing God who is the word who was in the beginning, in chapter 1 verse 14 he says, and the word became flesh and uh, dwelt among us. And what did we do? We beheld his glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We, we saw him. Peter as well, when he writes to uh, the, 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 the scattered believers in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 16 to 18 he tells them about seeing his glory and hearing the voice of the father they never got over this experience when God does something in our lives we we never forget it do we? We, we we even come up with songs like when I remember what the Lord has done I will never go back anymore because we know what he has done in our lives they never got over it there are some things that you will never get over you will look at your life and say I am the man I am today I am the woman I am today because God in his grace God in his grace he didn't have to brothers and sisters you see he didn't have to that's the, uh, the amazing thing about it. he didn't have to But God in his grace stooped down Condescended to my being And redeemed me Drew me to himself I want you to say amen to that Hallelujah So we see a place And secondly we see a people A people In verse 2a There's also a mountain A mention of people here We are told that Jesus el- uh, selected Peter, John, and James for this special trip to the top of Mount Hermon. Jesus had twelve disciples, so why just these three? Right? The, the answer to that question isn't as easy as uh, as as one for, for one to answer. But it is clear that these three men became the preeminent became preeminent in the early church. Right? Perhaps they were allowed to witness the event of this day in preparation for the place of leadership they would later occupy. And of course, this isn't the first time Jesus singled these men out for a special time of ministry. Nor would it be the last time he would do so. The first time remember that Jesus singled these three men out when he, uh, when he raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead. Remember he took them with him in Mark chapter 5 verse 37. He singled them out. Jesus would also take these men a little deeper with him into the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he went to the cross. In Mark chapter fourteen, verse thirty-three, these men were privileged to see things that other disciples never got to witness. Now we all know, right? We all know that God has no partiality. Romans chapter two, verse eleven, right? He is a God of no partiality. This simply means that he does not prefer one person above another because of any special merits that that person may have. In other words, God does not play favorites among his people. He he does not love you more than he loves me. He does not love me more than he loves you. I, I usually see this people on Facebook with their profile uh, you know, information and they say God's favorite daughter or God's favorite son. <laughs> That's not the case. There are no favorites in the eyes of God. But I want you to, to, to catch this because I think it is important. Although God does not love you more than he loves me, uh, Vince Havner uh, wisely said this. He says, God does not have favorites but he does have intimates. <laughs> Did you catch that? God does not have favorites, but he does have intimates. He may not love one of his children any more than his other children, but some are simply closer to him than others are. And those who are closer to him will see more of his glory and more of his power than those who, are, who stay further away from him. Right? And think about this. There are some Christians who have been in the church all their lives, but they never grow. They hardly ever grow. Their growth is bit by bit, it's like a, a tap that is just uh, never opened. There are some who come to Christ, and five months later, they are growing more. They are drawing closer to God. They are uh, being effective for the kingdom of God. Right? The the difference, brothers and sisters, is not about God loving the other more than the other. The difference is with intimacy with God. The reason one knows the Bible more than the other is not because the other is smarter than the other. It's because they spend time in the Word. They spend time in prayer with intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is the privilege of every Christian. It's just that others are not doing it. There's a story of a an old couple that used to love a long drive together in the countryside i I once drove over that side of Mpumalanga. it 's just so open you just want to drive there forever right and they loved that and, and 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 whenever they drove, the wife would just uh you know lean uh, on her husband then as, as they drove in silence and never saying anything but you could just uh, you know, um, see the love and intimacy between them. And as time went and they did that, they grew apart. They grew apart. The wife uh, was leaning now on the window. And the wife one day complained, Why aren't we leaning against each other anymore? And the husband says, I never moved. So, brothers and sisters, when you Think about your relationship with God. Let me tell you, God has never moved. It is you. God has never moved. He's still there. He's still as glorious as he was the day you experienced him. He's still as loving and as more loving every day. He's still as merciful. He's still as forgiving. He's still as gracious. All we need to do is draw closer to God. I don't want to labor on that point for the whole time, but we need to draw closer to God, brothers and sisters. It is not about favorites, it's about intimacy, isn't it? We are as close to God as we desire to be. We can experience as much of his glory and his power as we desire to experience. Do you ever wonder why some people seem so full of love for God? Or do you ever wonder why some people seem already, always ready to worship and praise them? Do you ever wonder what is the secret of their lives? There's no secret at all. There's no secret at all. There's no formula to it. Right? Those people have made up their minds to live closer to God. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Lord, this is my plea. So why did Jesus choose these three men? I'll tell you why. He chose them. and when you, when you can, I'll tell you why he chose them when you can tell me why Jesus chose you and me. right? To think that he would take a rank sinner like me and save me by his grace and, and then allow me to experience his glory is more than I can ever understand. But the simple fact is I can't understand it. And but that fact will not stop me from enjoying it. <laughs> it will not stop me from enjoying the presence of God, enjoying intimacy with God, enjoying drawing near to God. And it should not stop you either, brothers and sisters. We are living in a world that is distracted, that, 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 that has many, many distractions. right? If you were to quantify the time that you spent being distracted by other things, you will notice that the problem really is not lack of time. The, the problem is not lack of time. Uh, John Piper, um, if, I should, uh, if I remember clearly, he says, you know, our Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook, and, and whatever social media there, the, 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 the good that they will serve on that last day is to prove to us that we actually did have time. Thirdly, look with me there in verse 2c to verse 8, a presentation, a presentation, a place, a people, a presentation. The, the, the climb to the top of Mount Hermon would have taken the better part of the day. Luke in his account Uh, of this event tells us that Jesus began to pray when they arrived at the top of the mountain in Luke chapter 9, verse 28 to 29. Uh, Apparently this prayer, uh, this prayer meeting lasted for a while because the disciples fell asleep while Jesus was praying in Luke chapter 9, verse 32. So the day had probably vanished and night had fallen. The, The peaceful mountain is covered with a sky filled with canopy of stars. God is starting to cover the the sky with stars and it's night. Suddenly without warning Jesus changes. His face changes. Luke chapter 9 verse 29. His garments change. Mark chapter 9 verse 3. He is transfigured. This word comes from the word metamorphosis. It is the same way that is used to describe the changes of a caterpillar that a caterpillar goes through when it is transfigured into a butterfly. He metamorphosizes, he changes. In other words, Jesus changed forms on the mountain. The glory that was concealed within him was revealed on that mountain. You you see, this was not the first time Jesus had experienced A transfiguration. When he was born in Bethlehem, Jesus concealed the glory of his deity, of the fact that he is God behind the veil of his human body. On this occasion, the glory on the inside burst forth outside and it could be seen. The the dark mountain was instantly bathed uh, with a light brighter than the sun. Mark does not even have the words to describe it, that the way he wants to describe it is by a garment that no one, a garment so white that all the bleachers of the world <laughs> could not bleach it to that extent. Sometimes brothers and sisters, we lack words, don't we? We, we lack words to describe things. All that we could do is just look and marvel. I, I think if If Mark was not reporting this, he would just look and marvel because he didn't have words for it. Jesus was transfigured on this mountain. On this occasion, this glory burst out outside. The dark mountain is now light. It was a special representation here. Presentation. And of course, uh, these men were given a glimpse of the glory of all God's children uh, that we will see when we get to heaven. Right? One day we will see Jesus in all his glory. It it, doesn't say that, that though 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 though we do not know what we will be like, but when he appears, we will be like him. Right? We will be like him. Then, then, then Moses and Elijah amazingly appear there on the mountain with Jesus Mark says they were talking with him when you look at verse 4 Luke tells us they, they were discussing in Luke chapter 9 verse 31 his departure in other words they came to talk to him about his impending death upon the cross it was going to happen they came to discuss it Why Moses and Elijah and not some of the other great uh, personalities in the Old Testament? Why why was it Moses and Elijah? Well, Moses and Elijah are the preeminent representatives of the law and the prophets. These men have come to represent the word of God that spoke of the coming of the word of God. Moses was the great lawgiver and Elijah was the first and greatest of all the prophets. These men have come to encourage the lamp of God as it draws closer to Calvary. I think I have have an overactive imagination that whenever I read these passages like this, I just sit and read and, and, and just imagine what the conversation could have been like. I can't tell you because I was not there. These two men also represent the two ways the people of God meet death Moses died and was buried when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 5 to 6 Elijah was taken alive into heaven in 2nd Kings chapter 2 verse 11 like Moses many have and many will die like Elijah some will be taken up alive into heaven to meet with God when you look at first Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51 and 52 and and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse uh, 16 and 18 when it talks about us being taken up. Like Moses and Elijah, regardless of how you leave this world, if you know the Lord, brothers and sisters, you will be with him in glory someday. What a truth. What a blessing. And by the way, I'm blessed by the fact that Moses is standing with Jesus on that mountain. You may remember that Moses was forbidden from entering Canaan, right? Because of his rebellion to a specific command of God. In in, in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And you might be wondering, what happened to Moses? Because he was, in other words, he couldn't enter the promised land. The, 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 The promised land we're talking about Canaan here. Now here he is standing on the top of a high mountain, looking over all over Canaan. Can you imagine his excitement? Can you imagine how his heart is pumping as one of the singers of today, Danone? I know some of you don't understand. (laughs) He's excited. (laughs) There's no way of saying it. He's excited. His heart is dancing. Moses had been punished in time, but he was free in eternity. Peter, James, and John have been asleep. They awake to find the mountain bathed in supernatural light. Jesus, their leader and friend, was no longer the same man he had been. When they walked up to the mountain, Jesus had appeared to be an ordinary Jew. When they awoke, Jesus was shining brighter than the sun when they see this they are terrified when you look at verse 6 Peter didn't know what to say he didn't know what to say but in in Peter uh, (laughs) he just had to say something (laughs) he recommends that they enter into a building program in verse 5 he suggests that they build three tents one for Moses one for Elijah and one for Jesus it doesn't make sense does it by the way, there are people who have something to say and people who just have to say something. Uh, that, that is, the, those are two different things. Who have, uh, you know, who have something to say and people who just have to say something. The first group is worth listening to. The second group will get you in trouble. Right? Because usually the mouth goes before the brain. They think after they spoke. Peter may have been suggesting that they stay on the mountain, enjoy this amazing moment. Maybe Peter was suggesting that they use Mount Hermon as the world headquarters for the Kingdom Movement, right? Kingdom of God Movement International. Whatever Peter's motives have, may have been, one thing is sure: God did not like what Peter had to say. All of a sudden, Jesus and the other five men on the mountain are overshadowed by a cloud. Out of that cloud booms the very voice of the almighty God. God declares at this moment the supremacy of Jesus over the law and over the prophets. God does not tolerate Peter placing Jesus on the same level with Moses and Elijah. God is saying that Jesus is superior to both men and their message. After all, it was Jesus who gave them the very words that they wrote down. God wanted Peter and the rest of us to know that Jesus is his final work to humanity. People can try to get right with God by keeping the law or by doing religious things, but those things will never be sufficient. Salvation, forgiveness, and heaven will only come when a person believes on Jesus for their soul's salvation. God's advice to Peter in verse 7 is still good advice to us today. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. If you say you want to go to heaven, you need to hear what Jesus has to say to you. You need to listen to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except by me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen to him. God speaks and immediately the cloud is gone. Moses and Elijah are gone and the disciples are alone with Jesus once again. Peter and the others had allowed their focus to rest on the other things and other people instead of on Jesus alone. God takes care of that by removing all the things that we're looking to. So it is today, we need to beware and be aware that we do not allow anything to take our attention off of Jesus. Anything that that does that is dangerous. It doesn't matter how good it is. If it takes our attention off Jesus, it is dangerous. Anything that does that may be taken away by the Lord. We see lastly, in verse 2c to verse 13, a purpose. A purpose. As Jesus and his men leave that mountain, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone what they have seen until he rises again from the dead in verse 9. They do not understand what he means by this, if you look at verse 10, because they would not grasp the truth of the resurrection until Jesus had actually died and was risen again. Jesus told them to keep this information to themselves for two reasons. First of all, they didn't understand all the information that they needed, right? Secondly, they didn't understand the information that they did have. If they had gone around telling everyone what they had seen, they would have confused many and hindered the rest uh, of Christ's earthly ministry. As they they come off the mountain, the three men are confused. They want to know why the scribes say that Elijah must come Before the Messiah. Verse 11. That is in verse 11. And when they had already seen the Messiah now. And they saw Elijah appear on that mountain. Jesus tells them that Elijah will come. This is verse 12. And that when he returns. um, He will tend the tables on them. Right? Jesus tends the focus from Elijah to himself. He tells the disciples that while Elijah will come the Son of Man will suffer and be treated as nothing. Then in verse 13 Jesus lets them know that Elijah is already come. Not literally but in the person of John the Baptist who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Luke chapter 1 verse 17 When this great man of God came, he was put to death. He was beheaded. The, The implication here is that the Son of God came to this earth and he too would be treated shamefully. The real message of verse 9 to verse 13 is that the disciples still didn't get it. And they saw Jesus in his glory, and they failed to understand the message behind the miracle. With that in mind, allow me to give you a few uh, insights uh, that seem to to me to stand out here as the reason behind the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and don't let that word transfiguration scare you, right? Because sometimes big words... Really uh, uh, put us off, right? A transfiguration just means Jesus Christ appearing in his glory and changing his form in such a way that they could not understand. Right? So don't let it uh, be a big word that it hinders you from understanding and hearing the sermon. First of all, um, Jesus appears here in this way to, to encourage, uh, I mean, God does this, this trans- transfiguration. To encourage the Son of God with Jesus. <clears throat> Just as God had, had, had at the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry, remember in Mark chapter 1 verse 11 when he proclaims his relationship to the Son saying, this is my Son his approval of, of, of Jesus' ministry, Jesus would hear that voice again as he got nearer to the cross Again, secondly it was to prove once and for all that Jesus is really the Son of God Jesus had informed uh, and performed many powerful miracles in his life and ministry yet his followers still doubted his deity the fact that he's God this miracle proved that he is God in the flesh he is the word that became uh, the, the, the word that became flesh uh, Thirdly, this happened to challenge the disciples the disciples had been raised to believe that obedience to the law and the keeping of religious rituals was the means of salvation. Here they are taught that tr- uh, to trust Jesus and to trust him alone is the means of salvation. and that is less- the lesson we all need to take to heart, right? Works, religion and good work, good deeds will never save us. Faith in Jesus alone is the means and method of salvation only in Jesus. Now I praise God for. The transfiguration of the lord jesus christ is in no way in the gospel record can his glory and identity be seen any clearer than here jesus was completely man yet he was divine as well that he would let his real glory shine like the sun i want this to sing Together in response to this message and to sing with our hearts and considering the glory of God, shine, Jesus, shine. Jesus was completely a man, yet he was so divine. He was so divine that his glory was shining right before him as we anticipate seeing him face to face one day. I want us to, 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 to think and imagine About what he will look like. And I know our imagination as always will fail us. Because we can never truly imagine what it is like. But I want us to look forward to that day with joy. And I wonder brothers and sisters, are you really looking forward to that day with joy? Or are you terrified of that day when it comes? Do you really know that when you stand before him one day, you will hear those blessed words, well done, good and faithful servant? Or are you going to hear those dreadful words, "Uh, get behind me, I never knew you. What are you going to hear before him? Are you really going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Enter and enjoy the glory of your master, and you see him shining more than he did at the transfiguration. Oh, blessed God, when we are there together singing the song of the redeemed, not worried about who's going to pay the rent, not worried about what am I going to eat after church, not worried about what what is going to happen with this sickness, Am I going to get better? Not worried about any of that. But sitting right before him. Singing the song of the redeemed. Brothers and sisters. Are you prepared for that day? Are you ready to see him truly in his glory? As we taste. We have a foretaste of the glory. Are you ready for the full meal? If you are lost today. I want to invite you to come to Jesus and be saved. If you need to thank God for the mountaintop experiences of your life, now would be a good time. If you want to seek his face and become a person after God's own heart, now is the perfect time. If God has encouraged your heart and you want to thank him, now is the perfect time. Let's mind him today. We will be singing in a few minutes. Shine, Jesus, shine. Let our hearts sing with joy. And if you are not really singing in your heart, give him your heart to truly transform you. Let us pray. Lord, our desire is to truly see your glory. Our desire is to be with you, Lord. We go through the world... Marked by divisions, marked by conflicts, marked by sin, sickness, and we are homesick. Help us, Lord, as we walk in this world, that our hearts will be looking to you, not distracted by anything. That we will draw near to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.